As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, we will wait for folks to join before getting started. Appreciate everyone hopping in. Hopefully it's on a nice lunch break right now. If anyone has any questions, you can put them in the chat or raise your hand. And I can, I guess it's called call on you, unmute you, whatever you want to call it. And we can get this thing rolling. Who is going to be the brave soul to raise their hand first? Let's see. No pressure. Peter. Hey, I just wanted to ask about Darren Waller and the possibilities of the Packers spending a second round pick or Mm -hmm. whatever else. And I suppose I wanted to ask as well, because obviously Waller is a really exciting prospect, but he plays most of his pass catching snaps out of the slot. And that's the Mm -hmm. one area that we don't really need a pass catcher in the sense that Lazard plays 50% of his snaps there, Tonyan can play out of there. Uh, We've got Amari Rogers and Randall Cobb. So I'm just wondering how you think the Packers could use him and if you think it's likely. And yeah, if you could just comment on that. Yeah, I appreciate the question. I do not think it's likely, likely from what I was told checking in with uh, the the sources I have. Um, I'm not saying that Aaron Nagler's report was false. I'm just reporting what I was told. I'm not trying to, you know, refute what what he reported or anything. I'm just uh, telling you what I was told and from the people I trust. I don't see why the Raiders, you know, beyond what I was told, I don't see why the Raiders would trade him. They have him extremely cheap for how good he is for the next two years. It's not like um, he has one year left on his deal and he's trying to get paid right now. He might be, but... um, I remember when I covered the Raiders before the Packers, I was it was a meaningless week. I believe it was week 15 in the 2017 season when or 2018 season when the Raiders played in Cincinnati and Darren and this no name reserve tight end took an end around 44 yards. We were like, who the hell is this guy? And it was Darren Waller. And I remember talking to him in the locker room that day after the after the Raiders lost and. Uh, he was just so happy. He's incredible with, with media, which is, I, I guess I'm biased as to why I wouldn't mind him coming here. But um, 
yeah, I, I think when people bring up Darren Waller, Jarvis Landry, these these potential ads here, I don't see a reason why those would be feasible because, like you said, um, Packers already have guys in the slot. And Randall Cobb being one of them, Alan Lazard can obviously play in the slot. And as as infuriating as, as it may have been to watch Amari Rogers' development or lack thereof last year, Packers aren't giving up on him. I don't, you guys know, I, I don't need to bring up Devontae's start to his career and uh, how how many struggles he went through before breaking out. I'm not saying Amari Rodgers is going to be Devontae Adams, but give the kids some time. I don't think the Packers will be looking for a slot. If they do take receivers in the draft, I think it'll be outside guys. There are a lot of smaller slot guys, but I just don't think they have the need for that. But yeah, uh, I don't think, Waller is likely, uh, not only from what I was told, but it's just common sense that why would the Raiders trade him uh, for a second-round pick? Obviously, if that was going to be part of the Devontae Adams deal, you might think, oh, well, why don't they just do it afterward? Well, they don't have to. Uh, I think it's different now that they got Devontae Adams, um, and now they don't have to trade Darren Waller, whereas maybe Brian Gutekunst is like, we're only giving you Devontae Adams if you give us Darren Waller. So two different things. So appreciate the question, though. David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. What do you got? What do you got? Okay. Um, so I actually have two questions, if that's okay. Sure. Um, sure. First one, I saw on Track that so the tw- pick 22 is slotted for 50, just over $15 million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious if you thought about that in relation to – so that's what – just over what Devondre Campbell just got. So in terms of positional value, the odds that they're going to pick an off-ball linebacker and give them more guaranteed money than they gave Devondre. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I'll tackle that one first before you get to your second question. Um, I don't know how much consideration they would take into uh, the salary when, when, deciding what position to pick. I think more so it would just be um, positional need. And listen, Devondre Campbell was great last year, but it's he's had one year like that in his career. And they're not giving him five years, 100 million. They're giving him five years, 50 million. And it's essentially a three-year deal where they have an out after three years. There's no guarantee he plays as well as he did last year. The Packers obviously hope he can and they think he can that's why they gave him the contract so if it let's say I know people did not like that in our athletic uh beat writers mock draft I had Devin Lloyd going to the Packers at at 22 the reason I did that is because he was by far the best player available I understand he's an older guy and that's not really the Packers MO but if they think he can eventually become better than Devondre Campbell for a longer stretch of time despite his age I don't see why they would have any qualms with, with doing so with that pick, even though the guaranteed money would be more. Um, maybe they draft a receiver there because um, obviously the receivers that, whether it's Debo, Devontae, Tyreek Hill, these guys are making absurd amounts of money now. And and even if you have to guarantee that much to a receiver there, it's a discount if you think he's going to be a number one. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, th- I don't think it would hold them back from taking a linebacker uh, 
if that's the position we're talking about, I think it's just more positional need, which I'm sure we'll get into with some more questions as to uh, what they do with that 22nd pick. What's your second question? I was wondering uh, your thoughts on, so in the, the Joe Barry defense, if assuming he's in the, you know, stays in line with the, um, the system he came out of, the idea is generally to stop the run with a light box, right? right? And, um, and play coverage. So given that concept, um, how do you think they're going to analyze some of the edge rushers? Because I'm seeing prospects where it's like, oh, one of the top edge rushers, but he's not great against the run. Do you think they're going to prioritize ability to hold up on the edge, potentially even over some of the kind of flashier rush guys? I think they have to. Uh, Going back to even before Joe Barry got here, the first time it really popped out to me that the Packers needed to get better uh, defending against the run on the edge was the 2019 NFC Championship game when Zedarius Smith and Preston Smith were god-awful against the run. Now, um, it's as you said, it's not just the interior guys. I think Rashawn Gary has incredible pursuit. Watching him on film chase after the running back or whoever's running the ball across the line of scrimmage is really good. Preston's decent in that area, but they only they both played less than 64% of the defensive snaps last year and, and trust a, a Tipa Nalei or a Jonathan Garvin or a Randy Ramsey um, to hold up against the run. Their, their ability to contain in the limited snaps they got last year was not very good. Um, fixing the defensive line against the run is one thing, but I do, I do agree. They have to prioritize edge rushers who are just as good against the run as they are stopping the passer. I think Logan Hall's an interesting guy. Um, he's kind of viewed by some as an interior defensive lineman, but our draft guy, Dane Brugler lists him as an, as, as an edge, um, who's kind of a fringe first, second round prospect, um, I have one final seven-round mock coming out tomorrow, and I have the Packers taking him at number 28. He can rush the passer, but he can move inside too. And the Packers, I know Zedarius Smith did that a little bit, but Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith don't really do that here. Um, I know Gary did a little bit in college, but they haven't really asked him to move inside. So if they can get an edge rusher who is not only good against the run, like like a Logan Hall, um, but can also move inside and, and help out a defensive line that still needs a lot of reinforcements and depth without Kingsley Kiki, without Tyler Lancaster. You don't know what kind of jump TJ Slayton is going to make. I think that would be a, a great pickup, even if, you know, defensive line and edge rusher don't seem like the, the most immediate need. So keep an eye on Logan Hall. I like, I, I like him for the Packers late in the first round, or if they trade back into the early second. Can you hear me? Two things. Yep, I can hear you. All right, go ahead. So on your subject of edge rushers, I just wanted to bring up another name is Josh Pascal. Have you looked at him at all? What do you think about him? Yeah, out of Kentucky, I I think part of me thinks they're going to take a guy earlier. Um, Dane Brugler has a third-round grade on him. We saw what the Packers did with Rashawn Gary. Uh, a couple of years ago, Brian Gutekunst is not afraid 
to use a first, second round pick, whatever it may be, on a guy who's going to be depth at edge rusher. And if Pascal's a third rounder, I don't see them doubling up on edge rushers early. But, you know, if they don't get one in the first or second round, maybe he's a guy in the third round. I'll read you the scouting report Dane Brugler has on him, who studies these guys, you know, the whole draft class, I should say, way more than I do, beyond just the guys who the Packers could be interested in. Pascal is a smart, technically sound defender with the body type and balanced athleticism to shut down the run. He has the physical hands and quickness to defeat blockers as a pass rusher, but he struggles to bend the corner or win at the top of the rush. He's not a dynamic or sophisticated pass rusher, but he's polished versus the run with the point of attack instincts and football character that will be welcomed in an NFL building. Sounds like it, like like we were just talking about. With that third edge rusher, I think almost the Packers almost need to prioritize stopping the run before stopping the pass. They have proven pass rushers. They don't have proven run defenders on the edge. So Pascal seems like a guy from that scouting report that they could use, though I don't know if they're going to wait that long to use one, given how important that edge rusher depth is in this defense. Yeah, I'll say my buddy and I do a we do a Wisconsin sports show every Wednesday. Like Logan Hall is definitely still the guy we like the most, but mm-hmm. I just thought maybe Jod Pascal would be like kind of a an underrated guy. Um, the question I wanted to ask you is for the second round for 53 and 59, how would you feel about Jalen Peter and Alec Pierce? Yeah, I I have Alec Pierce going to them in the third in in the mock I have tomorrow. I guess I'm just spoiling my entire story for tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I think Jalen Peters is a really interesting guy. I, I have them taking uh, another, you know, Baylor safety, JT Woods in the fifth. Okay. I'm interested to see if they exercise the fifth-year option in Darnell Savage. And that, I think, Brian Gutekun said they'll handle that after the draft. But mm-hmm. they already know if they're going to do that or not. I just don't know what that decision is. Now, if they don't exercise the fifth-year option, he'll be a free agent and safety – as Brian Gutekunst has said, you know, he doesn't draft always for the immediate future. He, he drafts, mm-hmm. for, you know, down the road. And safety would then be a, a big-time need if Savage hits free agency and if they don't extend, you know, Adrian Amos, which I think they eventually will, but he, he has one year left on his deal. So I would really like that pick. And then the second guy you said, Alec Pierce, his hands are incredible. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's always room in this offense for, for that kind of guy. An interesting note there is he obviously comes from Cincinnati, and part of the reason uh, Matt LaFleur liked Josiah DeGuara so much is because he came from Cincinnati in an offense coordinated by Mike Denbrock, who's the OC at Cincinnati. Mike Denbrock was the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame when LaFleur was the quarterback's coach there in 2014. So he really trusts uh, the products he puts out. So just like he liked DeGuara, I'm sure they have an eye on Alec Pierce and they have a need there. Um, And outside, uh, like we were talking about earlier, outside receivers, if they don't take receivers in the first round, I could see them taking Pierce in the second, even though he's Brugler has a third round grade on him. I don't know if he'll fall that far. We we had Nate Tice on our podcast the other day and I asked him for kind of a, a post first round guy that he likes as a fit with the Packers and, before I could even get the question out of my mouth, he said Alec Pierce. So seems like a guy who would fit well with the Packers, who who a lot of people are pegging to him, which 
just means they will not take him because everyone likes <laughs> him going to the Packers. That's that's how I felt. Like I fell in love <laughs> with him. Like like doing the research on him and stuff, and then watching his highlights. It's like he reminded me so much of Jordy Nelson. It's yep. like this is yep. too perfect, and he's gonna get drafted by the Bears or the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think he'd be a really nice piece. Um, look, Brian Gutekunst said the other day that. You know, they have some guys in the building they're excited about who are who are eager for a chance to prove themselves in the wide receiver room. I don't take anything he says at a pre-draft press conference, you know, mm-hmm. for any sort of substantial takeaway. But you just can't go into this season with Jawan Winfrey and Malik Taylor expected to contribute. I, I understand giving Amari Rogers another chance. I understand relying heavily on Randall Cobb and hoping he stays healthy. I even understand giving Sammy Watkins a fair chance. If anyone wants to talk about that, I I don't know if he's going to make the roster or not. His contract certainly doesn't guarantee it, but I think they have to double up on receivers early in this draft, if only to push those other guys to to really elevate their game. Does the, do the reports about George Pickens concern you? You know, the Packers haven't, traditionally been a team that takes I, I don't want to say risks calculated risks on guys with uh character concerns if you want to call it that um i know Devonte wyatt has some of those too there's a little bit of the extracurricular caution with with george pickens if if that's a okay way to put it um, mm-hmm. um he's an incredible talent he obviously had a major injury in college, but if there's anyone who can get you in line, I would have to think it's a team like the Packers and Aaron Rodgers who really don't seem to have that many off-the-field concerns, at least since my time covering the team. I, I know mm-hmm. Zedarius Smith got pulled over for having weed in the car, but that really mm-hmm. wasn't his fault, I don't think. Um, it, it just seems like those issues kind of go to die here. Now, would they take a risk on it? I don't know. It, it depends on what they think of him, uh, if they talk to him at the Combine. But I could see them using a, a late first, second round pick on him, I'm sure. And I don't know if this is the case in Green Bay, but for example, when I was covering the Raiders, uh, they wanted to bring in a cornerback named Daryl Worley, who I believe was a third round pick in 2016. And he had recently been arrested and pulled over. I believe he fell asleep at the wheel while he was intoxicated. And they wanted to bring him in because he was a talented corner. And Carl Joseph, who was his teammate at West Virginia, was on the Raiders at the time. So they talked to Carl Joseph and said, what are we getting in this guy? So if they want to do the same thing for George Pickens, they go to Eric Stokes, who went up against this guy in practice every day. Now, I don't know if they trust Eric Stokes. I don't listen. They didn't value Aaron Rodgers input before this past year. So I maybe doubt that they're going to do it with Eric Stokes, but um, there's always ways to bet that, bet that kind of stuff. I don't know enough about his background to be concerned about it personally, but I'm sure the Packers have done their due diligence. What else we got? Who else, who else has a question? I'll give you guys – oh, here we go. Jared has a – what do we got? Uh, can you hear me? Yes. So I have I have a couple for you. So I've seen sure. in a lot of mock drafts 
a couple uh, offensive linemen going to the Packers first round. First of all, why why would we consider taking a a, a, a O-lineman first round when that seems to be the one position where we have substantial depth? And also looking traditionally, the Packers have found all of their best starting offensive linemen like fourth to seventh round. I mean, Tauscher was seventh round. Bakhtiari was fourth round. Sidden was fourth round. Lang was fourth round. Corey Lindsley was fifth round. Yep. Why, when that would be our strongest position, if you look at the roster right now, would we be considering taking a uh, offensive lineman first round? No, it's a fair question. Um, nobody loves offensive linemen more than the Green Bay Packers and offensive line depth than the Green Bay Packers. Look, they need a starting right tackle. Um, Yash Nyman, at least, for, listen, I think Elton Jenkins is going to start at right tackle when he's back healthy. I don't think they're going to, as dominant, you could just run left every time with Bakhtiari and Jenkins, assuming their knees hold up. But you want to get your best five out there. I think you put Elton Jenkins at right tackle. But we saw what happened with Bakhtiari last season. Is it best case scenario Jenkins comes back week eight, week nine? I don't know. Uh, yeah, he, he suffered his in, knee injury week 11. Bakhtiari was week 17. But th- those things are just so different for everyone. So I would, I would say at least for the first half of the season, they need a starting right tackle. And Yash Nyman, um, he can play left tackle pretty well from what we saw last season. But uh, can he play right tackle? As we've heard a bunch of guys say, it's like, wiping with a different hand it's not easy just going left tackle to right tackle i'm assuming he can do it you know adam stenovich told us a couple weeks ago that that yash will get a chance at right tackle and left tackle i'm assuming it'll just be right tackle since bakhtiari's back um i don't think they should use a first round pick on on depth at a position that's fairly strong but then again this is a team who has seen Elton Jenkins, David Bakhtiari, uh, Billy Turner, Brian Balaga in recent years get their fair share of Knicks and get banged up. Um, and there's no position more, maybe more important besides quarterback than offensive tackle, especially when you have a 38-year-old quarterback who can still run but is a little less mobile. Protecting him is key to uh, to extending his career. So, Offensive tackle is extremely important. It just matters, do they think Yash Nyman can be that right tackle? If they think they need a, a starter right now, like they thought at center, which is why they drafted Josh Myers in the second round last year, and Elton Jenkins, you know, in the second round in 2019 when, when they thought Lane Taylor was kind of on the fritz, then I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't know what they think of Yash Nyman, but like you said, just like has been the case with wide receivers in the second round, they're probably more inclined to wait if they can afford to, given what Ted Thompson and, you know, even Gutekunst with guys like John Runyon, some signs of Royce Newman, and then Jenkins and Myers after the first round, they've proven that they can afford to wait. So uh, do I think they'll draft an offensive lineman in the first round? No. Would I be stunned if they did? Uh, also, no. Another question I have is yesterday on the Pat McAfee show, Charles Davis was on and he Mm -hmm. mentioned that one person that's not being talked about that he thinks is likely to be traded on draft day was Jordan Love. And that's the first kind of time we've, we've heard any buzz about Jordan Love being traded since 
uh, Rogers has signed his extension. And since I feel like there's been a quash on all those rumors, do you think there's right. any merit to that? Or is that just speculation? Look, I'm never going to say never because two years ago I predicted on live TV, not live TV, but on TV that there was 0% chance the Packers would take a quarterback. Then they took Jordan Love. I also predicted that uh, they wouldn't trade Devontae Adams, which they did. So uh, I'll I'll stay away from guaranteeing anything. Um, I, I think if the Packers, if it was a guarantee, that Aaron Rodgers plays three more years, then I think they'd be more inclined to trade Jordan Love. Um, from one conversation I had with someone very close to the situation uh, earlier this offseason, there is no guarantee that Rodgers even plays beyond this season. And, and I'm sure the Packers know that. As Andrew Brandt uh, wisely pointed out, Rodgers' contract is situated so that um, his cap hit would skyrocket after this season if they keep him on the roster. So even his contract lends itself to the belief that this might be his last season. Now, could he play two or three more years? He could, sure. As we've seen with Rodgers the last couple of years, we never know what he's thinking. He's a complete wild card. Um, it makes it interesting to cover. I'm sure not very exciting to follow every year, but I am truly of the belief that we could be doing this whole off-season song and dance again next year. I think that is part of the reason that they're going to hold on to Jordan Love. Another part is because, uh, like I said earlier, yes, Rodgers has, has stayed fairly healthy. I know he had the toe, but he didn't miss time because of it. Um, two years ago, I believe he wasn't even on an injury report. But the fact of the matter is you have a 38-year-old quarterback. And backup quarterback is – very, very important, as the Packers know, um, more so than any other franchise. And you need a guy there who knows the offense. Now, the big mystery is what is the Packers' true evaluation of Jordan Love? Every time we ask about Jordan Love, they're not going to say, oh, he's struggling, they're, they're, or oh, he's fantastic, because they don't want to piss off Rodgers, and they don't want to tank his trade value by giving us an honest assessment. The fact of the matter is, we don't know if Jordan Love can be a good starter in this league. Yes, he was not good in the very limited time, but I am one of the people firmly in the camp of it is far too soon to make any sort of judgment. Look, I know that Aaron Rodgers in training camp, non-games, even in games, flashed signs that he could be the guy when he was at this stage of his career that Jordan Love is. And Jordan Love has not done that. But you get thrown into Arrowhead on short notice you get thrown into a, a meaningless week 18 game uh, against the Lions and you get a couple meaningful reps in the offseason program after not having anything your rookie year. It's tough. I, I think we'll, we'll find out more this year, but I don't think they're going to trade him because I think they value the backup quarterback position too much and because of the uncertainty that, that lies ahead with Rodgers. And plus, I don't know what they would get for Jordan Love if it – would it be a if it's a set if, if some team calls and says we'll give you a second round pick for Jordan Love, Brian Gutekunst better ship Jordan Love out before you know that offer even gets out of whatever GM's mouth. Um, now I know everyone says you know Jordan Love's would be the highest rated quarterback in this class. And he's learned behind Aaron Rodgers. That's probably a plus that the Packers have. 
But I think ultimately it comes down to it's no certainty that Aaron Rodgers plays beyond this season. And the Packers don't want to trade Jordan Love thinking that they'll have Aaron Rodgers for the next three years only for Rodgers to be like, you know what? I'm kind of liking this this golf gallivanting around Hawaii uh, inner peace thing. I'm out. See ya. Would that be screwing over the Packers? Yeah, probably, regardless of if Jordan Love is here or not. But I think the Packers want to want to be more safe than sorry. Brian Gutekunst told us before the combine that uh, it's very likely he would not pick up calls if people were to call on Jordan Love. But everything can change. So I'll be interested to see if that eventually happens. And then a final question that I have is we've <clears throat> we've gotten a little sneak peek that Rodgers will be speaking tomorrow on Pat mm-hmm. McAfee's show the first time we've heard from him since basically anything has happened outside of I think there's been some snippets of him on Twitter at golf events and whatnot but no actual words spoken about his thoughts on uh, the Adams trade or his yeah. decision to stay is there any um do you have any clue what you know could be said tomorrow or is it going to be limited you know the last time we got a sneak peek that he was coming on Pat McAfee's show uh was when he gave no announcement at all and stirred up 150,000 viewers on YouTube. Um, So is there any indication of what possibly could be discussed tomorrow? Is he going to give insights on wide receivers he wants or anything like that? I hope so, since it it would make some good content for us. But look, you you don't need to tune in tomorrow to know what what he thinks about the Adams trade. You know, I had some conversations with people the night that trade happened. And and I can tell you, Rogers, despite reports that, you know, he signed his contract knowing that Devontae Adams was going to be gone. I was told by someone that I trust close to the situation that Rogers was obviously aware that Devontae was not happy at all. Um, he was aware of the the tenor of the situation as a whole. But he ultimately thought Devontae was going to come back because he knew the Packers were offering him $28.5 million a year. He thought, uh, from, from what I was told, that the money would eventually bring Devontae back. Now, maybe that was Rodgers kind of being in denial that Devontae really wanted to play with Derek Carr over him, that he really wanted to change the scenery. Um, I don't know, and nobody does deep, deep down what Aaron is feeling. But from what I was told by the people I spoke to that I trust— um, he knew of the situation, thought Devontae was going to come back, but it doesn't seem like he's up in arms over it or up in arms at the front office over trading him. Um, I don't think my initial reaction at least was they spent this year repairing the relationship with Rogers and now they do this, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's like that. I, I think Rogers understands it. He, he maybe could have sensed it coming, Although uh, maybe he didn't know for certain that it was going to happen. Um, but I'm interested to see what, he's, what he says tomorrow. If you remember two years ago when he first went on uh, on draft night, he said, we haven't drafted a, I'm paraphrasing here, we haven't drafted an offensive skill player in the first round of 15 years. So that would be nice. And then they drafted Jordan Love. So maybe uh, he says the same thing tomorrow. And then they draft a wide receiver because he has more influence in what the front office does now. And as Gutekunst told us the other day, those that improved communication with Rogers since he arrived at training camp last July has carried over into the off season. So I don't know what wide receivers he likes. Um, I doubt he'll get on there and be like, I want Garrett Wilson. And then for them to draft Chris Olave or Traylon Burks and, and 
those guys to be like, what the hell? Rogers doesn't like me. Um, but I'll be tuned in. I don't know exactly when he's going on. What I would like is for him to go on, I don't know, picks five to 15 and then the Packers trade up and we get his live reaction because obviously two years ago he went on and the Jordan Love stuff happened after he went on. But I, I, I love watching him on, on McAfee. I know a lot of people say, oh, the beat writers probably don't like it because Pat gets Aaron with all the good stuff. I love it. Uh, I've been a McAfee fan for a while. Um, he's always been good shouting me out on the show. And he gets a side of Rogers that is probably unrealistic for us to get. It's our job to get the nitty gritty, what's going on with the team. And we have a, a limited time with him, probably 15 minutes every Wednesday. And although it may not be as appealing to you guys, we have stuff that we have to fill our stories with. That's just the nature of the job. It's, it Sometimes we kind of get these off the beaten paths with Rogers. I've had a couple one-on-ones like that with him over the years, but, um, 45 minutes of of Rogers being more of himself, which he's much more inclined to do with Pat than he is with us. I completely understand that, and I like it because it's a good it's a good compliment to uh, what we get out of him that maybe Pat doesn't, and vice versa. So, thank you. Yep, David. Nope. Okay, we have a question in the chat that I can't see. Huh. Odds we take multiple wide receivers from Matthew G. Odds we take multiple wide receivers within the first three rounds. I think they will. Um, in the mock, I keep spoiling this mock draft, but this is what you all get for tuning into this. You get it ahead of time. I went off the beaten path a little bit. I have them trading up from 22 to 14 and taking Garrett Wilson. Uh, I think there's going to be a sense of, uh, I know I've said in the past, uh, and I'm being kind of wishy-washy on this, that I didn't think they would take a wide receiver in the first round. That was kind of the pessimist in me. The realist in me is saying they trade up from 22 to 14 to take one of the top guys. I think Jamison Williams could be the first guy off the board um, at 10 to the Jets. I say Garrett Wilson to the Packers at 14. If we're going by the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, Packers would really only have have to give up 22 and 59 to move up eight spots to 14 because the 14th pick carries a value of 1100 on the trade chart. 22 plus 59 carries a value of 1090. Maybe the Ravens want more, but I'm just spitballing here. Um, I think they make a big push to not only make Rogers happy, but you got to fortify that wide receiver room. You can't go into training camp with uh, Sammy Watkins or Alan Lazard as, as your number one. Um, So I say they go up and get Garrett Wilson. And then, like I said before, I have them taking Alec Pierce in the third round. I think they have to double up uh, on two guys in the first three rounds, whatever, wherever those picks happen in the first three rounds. Because, um, like I said, what they have now, and, and while they can win games with the running game they have, the O-line they have, the defense they have, at least on paper, you got to take advantage of having Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback and give him guys to throw to. So, um I think they take two guys and then complement them with Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Amari Rogers, and then that sixth spot to a special teamer or Sammy Watkins. I really like Velas Jones from Tennessee. Uh, he's kind of a fifth or sixth round guy. Not a great receiver. Could be a bottom of the depth chart guy, but he was the uh, 
SEC co-special teams player of the year for his dominance as a kick returner and punt returner. Um, they can't trot out Amari Rogers as a kick returner and punt returner again. So if they get a guy like that, and I'm assuming since Rich Passaccia, at least from the signings we've seen, Keyshawn Nixon, Pat O'Donnell, uh, even Dominic Eberly as your third string kicker, Rich Passaccia has influence in personnel. So I would expect maybe some of those later round picks to be specifically special teams driven. All right, David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Sorry. All right, what do you got? Difficulties last time. Um, so I was curious, both long and short term, if you think they need to draft some Kylan Hill insurance. Um, yeah. With the injury. Just because, I mean, I don't know how much longer Aaron Jones is on the team past right. this year. It'd be nice to have someone who's a compliment in styles to A.J. Dillon. Yeah, totally. Um, I am of the believer that this will be Aaron Jones last year because, A, um, they're going to have to pay A.J. Dillon in the coming years. I think he's a star. I think he's going to eventually be better than Aaron Jones. Um, And, B, if you thought this year was bad for the cap, just wait until the next couple years. And and Aaron Jones, uh, if – cut next year would free up more than 10 million against the look Aaron Jones is a stud he's one of the top 10 running backs in the league but I also think AJ Dillon can be that and you can't have two top 10 running backs unless one of them's on a rookie contract which AJ Dillon is but you're going to eventually have to pay him um so better to get get ahead of that problem while you can I could see – I don't think they take a running back early like they did with A.J. Dillon um, when you didn't know if Aaron Jones and or Jamal Williams would be back. I could see them taking a guy in the mid to late rounds for insurance, like you said, because of Kylan Hill coming off the knee injury. Don't count out Patrick Taylor. I think he's a nice little player. Um, could be – I don't know if he's number two worthy behind Dillon if and when that time comes. But uh, I definitely think taking a running back in this draft for depth as insurance to Kylan Hill is a possibility. We don't know where Kylan Hill is at in his rehab. Um, Again, he hurt his knee in week eight. So uh, the likelihood he is ready for this season is up in the air. But I, I liked what I saw from Patrick Taylor in his limited snaps last year. I think he could be that guy. Um, you know, he was a draftable guy, but an injury late in his career at Memphis pushed him entirely out of the draft. So uh, th- you could even consider him as a mid to late round guy in theory that the Packers have on their roster. So I, I would keep an eye. I don't think they draft a guy, but I wouldn't be stunned if they did for the exact reason you said. Brandon, oh, going so, once. What do you got? No, you're yeah. good. Cut in there for a second. All right, I've got kind of a two-parter. Um, one being everybody seems to act like this draft is, you know, doesn't have the top-tier talent, but it's deep, which to me makes it sound like it's a bunch of low first-round, second-round grades across 80 players. And then mm-hmm. there's only like 15 or so, you know, what they would consider top-tier first-round grades. Would you um, Would you project, or if you were to choose, which do you think it would do? jump up into that top 15 tier to get his guy or to get one of those first round grades or try to trade back 
and get more of those, you know, second, third round picks to have, you know, gunshot fire and, you know, more shots at the, at the barrel. Yeah. It's interesting. It all comes down to what evaluations they have on these guys. I, I think if they like one of these top four receivers enough, um, in, in Wilson, Olave, Williams, or London, I could see them trading up because the, the Chargers, the Saints, the Eagles, a couple picks ahead of them are also receiver needy teams. And that's why I had them trading up to 14 in my, in my mock coming out tomorrow, because uh, that would be leaping ahead of all those teams. Um, now, if they feel better staying put at 22 and all those receivers are off the board and they're not sold on a Devontae Wyatt or uh, if Devin Lloyd's still available, George Karloftis, then I could see them trading back and acquiring, you know, an extra second round pick, an extra third round pick for a team maybe like the Seahawks or the Colts who wants to come up from the late 30s, early 40s to get a quarterback in the late first round, like a Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, kind of a guy that can sit behind uh, Matt Ryan or whoever the heck is starting in Seattle, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, maybe they have to get someone to start right away. Um, So I could see that because obviously, look, the great part about the draft is that nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. No, like this could turn out to be an incredible draft class. Granted on paper, it's not that way, which is why you may see teams want to trade back, but you just never know. So I wouldn't be surprised by anything. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but <laughs> what I've learned covering the draft for, for a while now is that, uh, like, Cleland, I was covering the Raiders when they took Cleland Furl number four overall, and, and John Gruden was like, I'm going to get him. This is going to be the guy. And he turned out to be a bust. But um, you take a guy like, you know, Darnell Savage or Jair Alexander or Elton Jenkins or, you know, my point is you just never know what's going to happen. On the surface, people are going to have their opinions about the pick. Who knows how they're going to pan out? I think my hunch says if those top four, top four, top five, throw in Burks in there, if those wide receivers are gone, the Packers would be more inclined to trade back. But it all comes down to what they what they think of those top guys, if they even want one of those top receivers, um, which. They would never tell us on or off the record. So that's the unfortunate part since nobody's ever going to tell you the truth. All right. The, um, the one that keeps coming to me is as I watch these mock drafts and Kyle Hamilton flying all over the board, top five, top eight pick. And now things are showing him potentially dropping into the teens. That feels like a goody pick to me. Like if he falls into like the 13, 14, 15 range, that just feels like, somebody he would go after yeah. um just uh, wouldn't even matter the cost he would just fire fire up for it um so that's kind of my long shot pick right now um and then the second part of that i had for you was last time i was on this when you had it um i had asked you something to the effect of how much rumors do you hear um and how much do you hear from a rumor standpoint that you don't report right. um just because you need to you need you know you need your verified sources and things like that not that I'm asking again, not asking you to report anything. <laughs> How many rumors are flying around in the around the you know buzzing around the area on different things? I mean, there's always a bunch, whether it's from Rogers Future, and I'm even going off draft here, Rogers Future, Jordan Love, uh, Devontae Adams, who they want in the draft, what they're gonna take. 
my thing with the draft is when it comes to who's actually on the team, um, I'll, you know, do my due diligence on everything with the draft. It's like, you just never know if someone's telling you the truth or not. And cause there are people who are incentivized to lie because as everyone in here knows, a GM has all the right to lie about a prospect because they might want that guy. They might want that guy to fall down their draft board. I, I understand that George Pickens has off the field concerns as, as people should, but there are probably some guys in this draft class who have these quote unquote character concerns or off the field concerns for certain reasons that are getting perpetuated more throughout the draft cycle because certain GMs want them to fall to them and they think they can, they can rectify them. Maybe GMs or scouts or people that talk to reporters are pumping up other guys because they want them to go early. So, you know, other guys fall to them. And the reason I say that is because my, my general strategy around draft time is, you know, we have draft analysts who do all the dirty work on scouting all these prospects. Dane Brugler is the best in the business, in my opinion, from the athletics. That's his job. And and I'll obviously take a look at guys who I think could, could fit with the Packers. But when it comes to who the Packers want or, or what they need, nobody's ever going to really shoot it straight with you. And even if they are shooting it straight, there's still a chance that the draft could wind up completely differently and you could end up being wrong. So I like to just wait to see what happens in the draft. I, I'm a guy who doesn't like the pick spoiled. It should be a fun event. I mean... It's a complete spectacle. It's a complete crapshoot. Whoever the Packers take on Thursday night, they could be out of the league in four years. Ultimately, uh, this is an awesome time of year because there's so much hope and optimism around everyone. But what matters is is the season, and everyone knows that. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of rumors flying around. But I like to just wait until draft night to see which ones are actually true instead of just throwing stuff against the wall and, and seeing what will stick. If that makes sense. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I appreciate it. Yep. All right. What do we All right, got? What do we got? Whoops. Whoops. I sounded loud. I sounded loud there. Uh, what are the chances of, instead of drafting a wide receiver, trading for one? I don't hear a lot of buzz around that, but we all know that there's at least potentially three or four uh, of kind of the second round studs. McLaurin, Metcalf, all of them that could be available. Uh, one would think that generally Rogers not trusting rookie receivers, the fact that the team's very much in a win-now mode, um, the fact that we probably don't have receivers in the draft, or especially where Packers are picking that are going to be instant impact, like a, like a Chase or a Jefferson, yep. that uh, it could potentially make sense to get someone into the building. Uh, we were also willing to pay Adam, so it means the money is potentially available. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And are there any sort of um, talks about that actually happening? Or would it have happened by now if it was going to be traded for first-round picks or, or multiple picks? Would it have taken place now? Or does it sometimes kind of last all the way to the end, to the eve of the actual draft? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Good question. It could still happen before the draft um, with Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf. I really don't think they're going to end up on the Packers, not because the Packers aren't interested, but because 
those teams have no reason to trade them to a team that is competing with them for the conference title, especially the 49ers. I would be stunned if John Lynch traded Debo Samuel to uh, to the Packers. Um, listen, Aaron Rodgers probably wants Debo Samuel. He probably wants A.J. Brown, probably wants D.K. Metcalf, probably wants Terry McLaurin. But as we've seen this offseason, since that Devontae Adams trade, everyone wants out or everyone's unhappy or you know, everyone wants that big new contract and, and that new flashy new team, as they should. Uh, I love the player empowerment. That's how it should be. But I think it's more likely at this point that the Packers fill that position through the draft. You got to remember, um, and I made this mistake in answering a mailbag question the other week, all that money that they saved by trading Devontae Adams they used to re-sign Rasul Douglas, re-sign Devondre Campbell, a uh, couple smaller moves, you know, Pat O'Donnell, Sammy Watkins. The Packers have a little over, I believe, $14 million in cap space right now. But you also got to account for signing draft picks, signing practice squad players, uh, give a little leeway for in-season acquisition, stuff like that. So the only way the Packers could extend a guy like Debo Samuel or DK Metcalf um, or Odell Beckham or give Odell a new deal or you get it, you know, a big deal like that would be to make another move or two to free up more cap space. Now, those moves are out there. They're possible. Extending Jair Alexander would free up cap space. I still think that happens at some point, but it doesn't seem imminent. Um, You could cut Dean Lowry to free up a couple million, but I think you need him on the, as wild as that sounds, you need Dean Lowry. I think they do um, just because you don't know what you're getting in Jaron Reed. Dean Lowry wasn't bad last season by Dean Lowry standards. Granted, he hasn't lived up to that extension. He signed in 2019, but he has, I called him Dean Matumbo because of how many passes he batted down uh, and did kind of the finger wave at the line. And you don't know what kind of jump TJ Slayton is going to make. So, who knows if they draft a guy, but cutting Dean Lowry is an, is another option to free up cap space. So they can make room to extend those guys. I don't think they'll have to because I think they're just going to fill it from the draft. As as much of a, a rain on your parade type answer that was, uh, I think that is what's going to happen. I'll go to the chat for some questions uh, in the final stages here. Marcus, do you think they will extend both Amos and Savage? Or is it time to find that replacement? I think it's much more likely they extend Amos. He's been a rock back there. I I think Savage um, hasn't exactly lived up. He's been good, don't get me wrong. But he hasn't exactly lived up to that first-round pick billing, more so than some other first-round picks here have in recent years. What I'll be interested to see is if Savage can really increase his value to the Packers and, and encourage them to extend it by, by playing the, the slot this year. You know, when we talked to Ryan Downer, the new safeties coach, a couple of weeks ago, he said, yeah, that, that's definitely something Darnell can do. But last year, we all pegged and all of us dumb writers pegged Savage as a key guy for, for the slot uh, in Joe Barry's defense because he, he's physical. He's built like that. He could theoretically guard tight ends and then he never played there so um it all depends on if they if they exercise his fifth year option then we can kind of delay that question of whether they'd extend him another year but 
it would cost a lot of money to pay him on that fifth year option. Um, I believe it's around 10 million. Uh, I know Jair got more than that because he had made a, it's based on how many pro bowls you make uh, throughout your rookie contract. Jair had one. So uh, he may, he's scheduled to make around 13 million on his fifth year option. Savage obviously has not made a pro bowl. So it's a couple million dollars less. I believe I'd have to double check that. But uh, Goody was kind of, very bland when when asked if they'd exercise savage's fifth year option the other day didn't was very non-committal about it they have until may 2nd to make that decision so once we get that decision then i could have a better answer to that question drew any chance lazard becomes a trade chip in this draft one year 3.9 million second round tender i believe yes that is what it's at my thing is as valuable as alan lazard is to this team I just do not see another team giving the Packers a second round pick for him. The pack, you know, the Packers would probably be conflicted on that. Now, obviously uh, another team would have to offer him, which the deadline to do so has already passed. Um, I know Rob Domofsky reported that Lazard had not yet signed his RFA tender, uh, presumably because he was waiting a couple more days for another team to offer him uh, just to see if he could get a contract extension. That's just business. There's nothing wrong with that. But that deadline has passed, I believe. Um, so I would expect Lazard to be back on that tender. Now, could they trade him? It's possible. I just don't know if what they would get in return is is worth worth it for a guy that everyone loves here. Listen, Lazard should not be a number one wide receiver. He should not be a number two wide receiver. He's a very good number three wide receiver and a role player. If you can get a number one and a number two in this draft or a number one and rediscover the the glimmers of number two, Sammy Watkins, then they'll have something. Lazard can be a number two, but in a really good passing offense, he's he's probably a number three. So I think he he eventually stays here. All right, let's see. Matt, why don't you look at RAS more? Goody is an old scout, a stopwatch guy, and it's documented. Yeah, you're probably right, um, Brian M. That's fair. Um, now, could they trade up to 14 and draft Jordan Davis then? Probably. I believe he had an RAS of, of 10. Uh, it, it's possible. I probably should look more into kind of the, the Packers' draft history and I shouldn't say draft history, but tendencies of, of what they'll do in terms of age and height. I'm just jaded because as I mentioned on Twitter today, Ted Thompson saw what happened with, you know, Terrell Buckley and didn't really draft another corner like that. I know Ahmad Carroll until Jair Alexander, they kind of had that Mendoza line, but there's always an exception. So if you think, all right, here's here's the threshold for what they're going to do in the draft. There's always exceptions to it. And and as I mentioned, guessing what the Packers are going to do is really just that, a, a draft guessing game. Granted, there are such things as educated guesses. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's an important one. I think that's why they're probably not going to take Bernard Ryman in the first round because he's very old for, for uh, I guess, draft eligible players. But then again guys this year because of the COVID year. So guys spend an extra year in college. So do they make an exception this year for older guys? Because 
the average age of guys in this class are just older because they spent more time in college because of COVID. It's possible. But yeah, you kind of have to sift through what's real, what's not. And and at the end of the day, it's all just all just a best guess. As a UK based Packers fan, is it worth staying up for the draft? Seeing as I saw them draft Jordan Love at 4 a.m. last time I did that. Um, I'm wondering if you got much sleep after that. Yeah, you got to stay up through the end of the draft. Um, Now, if you stay up and the Packers trade out of the first round, then I feel sorry for you. But uh, yeah, you got to stay up. It's always interesting. I remember it was I was back in Connecticut for that draft and I was just stunned when they took Jordan Love. My entire family was asleep and that that night's work was was just beginning. So uh, it's the draft. It happens. First round happens once a year. Uh, you got to stay up from Seth P. This is just a fun hypothetical. Oh, boy, that will never happen. But it's fun to think about what you think if the Packer traded both first and both seconds for Debo and Kittle. Whew, man. That would be pretty fun. Would you do that? I don't know. Uh, I I don't think they could because of the contracts. No, they definitely couldn't because of the contracts both those guys would have in addition to you know, Bakhtiari, Rodgers, what you have to pay Jair, what you're going to have to pay Elton, what you're going to have to pay Rashawn Gary. And that's the thing, uh, another thing about potential trades. Given this team's cap situation and what it's going to be, especially with that Rodgers co- contract, um, they need as many rookie contracts as they can possibly have. So could I see one one draft pick involved trade? Sure, but multiple, probably not, as, as fun as that would be. Let's see. What what else do we got? A couple more before we get out of here in a couple minutes. Um, <clears throat> from Kurt. A cornerback or safety in round one would be disappointing to me, but I do understand why. In my opinion, I think DL is a huge need versus DB. Do you see Wyatt as draftable by the Packers because of his age? Yes, I do. Because he's very good against the pass um, and very good against the run, at least in terms of defensive linemen. Some have him as the top defensive lineman in this class. Other uh, interior defensive lineman, I should say. Um, others, Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis is an interesting one to me because I see him as high as 14, see him as low as, you know, even past the Packers. Um, I think defensive line is obviously still a major need. I'm not sold on anything Jaron Reed or or TJ Slayton or Dean Lowry has in terms of being a, a certifiable complement to Kenny Clark cornerback would be disappointing for you. I could understand that because they're set at outside cornerback. Um, even a slot corner, you're going to probably play Jair in the slot, maybe have him shadow guys. So I think if you go for slot corner depth or outside corner depth in the first round, I think that's silly. Safety I could see more of, especially if they don't plan to exercise the fifth year option on Savage or extend him. I would be more understanding of safety, but I could still see why that disappoints you since it's not necessarily an immediate need. Um, Wyatt is an interesting one. I know in an earlier mock draft I or or one of our beat writer mock drafts, I had the Packers taking him. I know Nate Tice in, in his mock had, have the Packers taking him. Um, but something sticks with me, and that's the fact that the Packers just haven't really addressed in a significant way the defensive line the last couple of years. In, in 2019, they had uh, Kiki, Clark, Lowry, Lancaster. They basically went into 2020 with that. They basically went into 2021 with that, with the uh, 
exception of, you know, they brought in Snacks Harrison for a little bit there. Um, they obviously drafted TJ Slayton. They brought in Jaron Reed. There just doesn't, and their run defense is equally as terrible year after year after year with the lack of interior pass rushes. Maybe this year is different, but in my now fourth year covering the team, I just haven't seen any reason for why they would spend a premium pick on a defensive lineman. Um, then again, there's no reason to believe they'll do so on wide receivers. Something's going to have to give this year because those are their their top two needs, which just means they're going to take an edge rusher and, and an offensive tackle in the first round. And then uh, this Twitter app will cease to exist. All right, let's get one more. Let's see what we got from Garrett. What about trading back in the first round? Any chance they can get a one next year from a team trying to jump back into the first round? Sure. That's possible. They did that when the, was it when the Saints traded up to 14 for Marcus Davenport in 2018. And then the Packers used that extra first round pick to uh, draft Darnell Savage the next year. Yeah. Um, It's possible. Yeah. I think that's probably more likely with the 28th pick, because like I said, uh, earlier, I think they're either going to trade up at 22 or stay put. I don't see them trading back from 22. If there's a team like, like I mentioned, the Seahawks or the Colts, the team that's not high enough up in the first round uh, to get one of those quarter, maybe the Seahawks are because they're at nine right now. But let's say Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett go before the Seahawks or the Seahawks feel they need an offensive tackle more. I could see the Seahawks or Colts wanting to jump above uh the Lions at 32 and 34 to get a developmental QB like a Desmond Ritter, like a Sam Howell. Um, so I could see one of those two teams trading above uh, the Lions to draft a quarterback. And the Packers, obviously, at 28 would be a prime candidate for that. Uh, so, so Brian Gutekunst loves, loves his future first round picks. I remember when I sat down with Goody before this season. Uh, to do a story on kind of the process of drafting Jair when they gave up that number 14 pick in, in 2018, he said, yeah, we moved back. What was it? 13 spots to 27 before trading back up to 18. He was like, it was a lot, but that extra first round pick the next year was just too valuable to pass up. So this is a guy who likes his first round picks. So I could see that happening again. All right, Tom C. We got all think this is Tom Clements, but if it is, reveal yourself. Yeah. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Hey, um, you? Good, good question for you. Uh, you mentioned that you feel like they need to get um, more, produ- you know, some production out of some early contract guys uh, coming in from this draft, um, immediate sort of immediate uh, contribution. So last year they got great production out of two of the guys, Royce Newman and Eric Stokes. I think they both played over 85% of the snaps. Yep. But yep. Um, so how do you feel like, uh, but the other guys, you know, were all under 25% of the snaps, um, Josh Myers and, Terrell uh, and, and Slayton being right there at 25. So anyway, um, uh, in this class, do you feel like they're, they need to get more production out of those rookies and, and more snaps or more guys that are going to get more than 50% of the snaps? How, how do you see that working out? Certainly at Certainly wide receiver, um, as has been well-documented, you know, any wide receivers they have drafted in the past, Devontae, for example, there wasn't that need to produce right away. He He was able to sit and learn behind Jordy and Jordy was the number one, you you might need by mid season a Chris Olave, a Jamison Williams, a Garrett Wilson, a Drake London to be 
a number one guy. And Goody said the other day, there isn't that challenge to get opportunities if we do go the route of drafting a receiver in the first round. Look, I think Josiah DeGuara, I don't want to make excuses, but he obviously was coming off the ACL. But even when he was healthy, you know, him and Daphne are kind of hand in hand. And you, you would expect that you need more of a third round pick than an undrafted guy. Now, if you look at Amari Rogers, I think that he just had, he was so nervous last year. You know, Jason Vrabel said he just needs to be more confident in himself, believe in himself more as cliche as it is. I think that's true. Um, <clears throat> Royce Newman, Josh Myers, obviously you mentioned had pretty good rookie seasons. We'll cut it off after that. Cause you can't really expect much out of six, seventh round picks uh, like a Cole fan Lannon or, or someone like that. But I do think you need, immediate impact guys and another position I think you might need that at as we talked about is is defensive line who knows what kind of jump TJ Slayton is going to make and yes it's nice to have these rookies bide their time and learn but this is a team that needs to win now you can't afford to you know Yes, you can afford to develop guys for the next three years but you are going to need at least a couple guys from this rookie class to contribute right away, specifically at wide receiver, potentially at tight end, because who knows if Robert Tunyon's going to be the same guy when he comes back. They severely lacked a pass-catching threat at tight end in the second half of last season after his knee injury. His Mercedes Lewis DeGuara and Daphne and Tyler Davis are just not those kinds of guys. You're going to need an instant impact guy at edge rusher to be that number three. Um I don't think the, the staff wants to bide their time to wait for a Jonathan Garvin or a Tipa to to go through growing pains for another year. So, yes, I do think they're going to need those guys to play more than 50% of the snaps, um, specifically at wide receiver, specifically at tight end, if they go that route early in the draft, which I think they should. I have them taking one in the first couple of rounds in my mock tomorrow. Um, and then at edge rusher, I think are the three primary positions. But yes, to, to answer your question in short. In short. Gotcha. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. Appreciate everyone staying with us. Great chat. Awesome. We'll do another one of these after the draft. Maybe after round one. Maybe we'll do one on uh, Friday morning, Friday around noon. Let's do that. Let's plan for that because the Packers are going to make news on Thursday. Um, excellent questions. Appreciate everyone for subscribing. We'll have coverage throughout the entire weekend and we'll talk to you Friday. Take it easy.